everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, welcome to another Bradley Basics podcast. Uh, hope, hope all is well. Um, this will be my first Bradley Basics podcast in the new year, so hopefully your new year is going well. Uh, I've got a special guest here who happened to be in town, uh, Gina Arnidos. Uh, she's actually Barbara's sister, really highly uh, talented woman in society. She's a uh, equity and managing partner in a, in a predominant law firm out in Long Island, and she'll build that out as a uh, as we go through this podcast, uh, she's been been a lawyer for 34 years, so it's pretty impressive. So we're going to go through, obviously, the uh, standard uh, career path that we've been doing here at Bradley Basics, but also maybe explore, um, you know, truth and justice and how that relates to law and order. And we'll maybe we'll uh, kind of understand some of those basic terms. So how you doing, Gina? Very well. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Great seeing you. You're looking, looking good. I appreciate our talk there over coffee. So I think we aired out a couple of things, but um, so what's going on? What's going on with you? Well, uh, things, uh, believe it or not, are going well. Uh, I'm very busy at my job, uh, which is surprising because the courts in New York State are closed. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, Well, a lot of what I normally do is going to court, uh, and that could be for conferences with the judge and opposing counsel. Oh, like physical meetings? Physically physically going to court for various reasons. Uh, Due to the pandemic, the courts in New York State are closed since mid-March of last year. Uh, So what that means is we're doing uh, virtual meetings with the court. Um, And so that's on Teams. Uh, It's video, you know, obviously. Um, one of the things I do is depositions where it's a question and answer, uh, situation. Well, what's a, what's a, what's a deposition? Well, uh, I represent, um, various entities and people that get sued. Okay. Civil litigation. On the other, I'm the defendant. On the other side is the plaintiff, the per, the person suing. So you're a defender. You I'm defend a defense the defense attorney. Defense attorney. Okay. Um, now what a deposition is... I'm entitled to ask that plaintiff questions about their claim, about their injuries, about their medical treatment, and so on. Mm-hmm. They're entitled to ask my client questions. And there's a court reporter taking everything down. Mm-hmm. That's a deposition. So those we're doing via Zoom, um, which in my opinion is not ideal because you want to observe the client in the same room. But it is what it is. Like when you say observe, you want to, his mannerisms, his, his tone, his body language, body language okay. his facial expressions, mm-hmm. uh, his his tone, um, and you you can or better her, or her or, or her. her. Right. You can better observe that in person, mm. but that's not an option. Um, so we do what we can do. Yeah, that's great. So like we over coffee, we're talking about you, you kind of have a strategy. You, you probably take a look at the case, look at the case matter. You like, uh, you know, for example, you mentioned uh, something where you, you needed like four, four type of questions that you needed to answer. Is that part of the deposition process or? Well, once you gain a certain level of experience, mm-hmm. you know what information you need if you're going to go to trial. And so I've learned not to ask questions at a deposition just for the sake of asking them. I zone in on, for argument's sake, 
those four questions that I need to prove my case at trial. So that makes me more efficient um, in doing that job. Hmm, interesting. So now those, we'll take four questions, for example, as just a number. Are those questions based in, in, in law or, or, or something that's going to hold up in court? Or you wouldn't just go after a question that, or, or, or would you to create some kind of tactic to, to get what you really are looking to do? Both. Mm. Um, I want certain fact, factual answers from the plaintiff. And those factual answers fit into what the law is. Oh, wow. It's, it's what they need to prove to make a case and what they, or what they can't prove to make their case. And that allows me to do an analysis of what the case is worth, whether or not I can get it dismissed because it's, their case is not sufficient. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that goes into what I'm trying to get. Wow. So the, you know, obviously there's, you know, so there's different types of, of law, right? So you're, like you got family law, criminal law, right? So what is, how many different categories of law are there well, for, for a lawyer to be involved in? There's lots. There's uh, estate law, which is like estate planning or litigation of estate claims. There's matrimonial or family law. Mm-hmm. Um, there's criminal law, and within that, there's all different kinds. There's white-collar law. There's um, minor sort of violations. There's a whole mm-hmm. range of things in that category. I represent, um, well, my firm represents a lot of uh, camps, gyms, nursery schools, uh, retail clients, um, uh, sports venues, mm-hmm. That are getting sued. Okay, so like sued, like I, I think, like like um, I think you know through the years we've talked about, I think there was like someone getting hurt at a, at a place or something, maybe uh, yes. like tripping or something, or yes. that's an example. Yes, we represent um, <clears throat> two retail stores, uh, and some of what we, a lot of what we do is customers uh, getting hurt in the store. Okay. Um, we also represent the store against people bringing lawsuits uh, for false imprisonment uh, or prosecution that were accused of shoplifting. That's also an interesting thing that we do. Hmm. And we do some commercial cases for them, uh, contracts and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so there's different aspects to mm-hmm. what we do. All right, cool. So yeah, well, you you've been practicing law for thirty four years. That's quite a long time. And then you're equi- you're an equity 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 kind of having our time speaking right now. Equ- equity partner and managing partner of your law firm. So how did how did that come about? Well, uh, there's sort of a path mm-hmm. that you follow when you join a law firm. Okay. So when I joined this law firm in 1985 and went to work with Steve Goldstein, who's now my partner, I was an associate which basically means I worked for him as a lawyer. Um, I had a, a bunch of years experience at that point, um, but I wasn't where I am now. And eventually uh, I became a non-equity partner, which means I didn't own part of the firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I was thinking about it. I think I became an equity partner about seven years ago. Oh, wow. And that means I, I own a percentage of the firm. Now, and, are you liable then too? Or how yes, does that work? Yes. Um, and so we have malpractice insurance mm-hmm. um, that protects us against claims by clients saying, you know, we didn't do what we were supposed to do and they lost because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I'm partially on the hook. Um, now, a, a partner, um, that's a level that you reach in terms of skill, uh, bringing in business, your ability to run clients. So there are a bunch of uh, clients that I run. There are a bunch that my partner Steve runs. And part of the skill that you develop when you to get to that level is knowing how to deal with the clients to keep them and get more business. Uh, bringing in new clients. So there's a lot that factors into cool. it. Cool. Cool. All right, cool. Yeah. So we'll, you know, we'll kind of pivot into, I think it's a good introduction. We'll just pivot into some, you know, the questions, the five questions sure. I, I texted them to you. So um, uh, why did you pick the career that you did? Well, uh, I'm lucky in that I decided what I wanted to be when I was like five years old. Um, so ever since I was a kid in school, I've been working toward that goal. Um, I used to sit on my dad's lap and mm-hmm. talk politics and government as a young kid. Um, and, you know, p- relatives would see that and say to me, oh, do you want to grow up to be president? And my answer was, God, no, everybody hates you. It's a four-year gig. Why? Mm-hmm. I want to be a Supreme mm-hmm. Court justice. Wow. Um, which is a lifetime gig, and it's a good job. So I made a decision while I was in law school that I didn't want to go the route of working for a big law firm in the city, working you know 80 hours a week for somebody and sitting in a library doing research. Mm-hmm. I learned that what I wanted was quality of life. So I went to work on Long Island, which is a totally different environment. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, you're not in the city when you go to work for a large firm, even as a a first year associate, meaning just out of law school, you have the potential to make a ton of money and have really nice stuff, but you never see that stuff because you're working like a dog. 80 hours a week, never going home at night. Wow. It's it's not my deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted a life outside of work. So I chose maybe to give up some money, but to have a normal life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, Old Country Road in, in Nassau County. I've spent my entire career in like a two-mile stretch of Old Country Road. Um, and I've worked for firms, uh, big firm, bigger mm-hmm. firms, smaller firms. Uh, for two years, I was in-house counsel for Liberty Mutual. Um, and I've learned things in those different situations that have gotten to me where I am now. Wow. That's impressive. Now, you, you did your undergrad out at Stony, Stony Brook, right? Yes. And then you went to NY, New, New York, York Law, Law School. Yeah, well, you see I'm sporting the sweatshirt that yeah. you gave you. 
Yeah. So that's cool. Um, uh, so you, you're, you're, you know, like we've spoke about, you're similar to my buddy, Eddie and actually his wife, they're both medical doctors and they, they had a, aspired to be doctors when they were very, very young. So I find that very unique. And, and his son, um, Ed's son is, is, uh, you know, you can see similar that, you know, he's, he's, he's a good reader and he, you know, yeah, so it's good. That's good. I mean, I can't say that I was in that, in that camp, but, but that's a good thing. So, um, so you went to undergrad. So what did you study as an undergrad? Well, at Stony Brook, I was a political science major. Mm-hmm. And there are different uh, focus points mm-hmm. in that degree. I gravitated toward American government. Oh, okay. Um, was that like a minor or was that? It was a major. Major. Well, okay. that was a, a subcategory. It wasn't a minor, but within my major, it was kind well, of What a, is political science? Well, it's the study of government. Okay. It's the study of the evolution of our political system. It's the study of people who were pivotal in the development of our governmental structure uh, in uh, contemporary society, even in our political and government structure. Um, I took a lot of heavy classes. Uh, as I got into the later years of, of my college uh, education. So I took courses in constitutional law, uh, civil liberties, which is basically the study of the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took international law. So I learned business law. Um, so in college, I actually got a background in what I would have been learning in law school. Hmm. Wow. So when you study that in political science and we talk about truth, right? Like how, how, like in society, how was how truth developed? Like to say, yeah, that's truthful. Was that, and then obviously that equates to a law, I would think, right? Are those, are those connected from kind of more of a conceptual idea? Well, truth is discovered within our legal system, in my experience. Okay. So in in a court of law, say you're going to trial in a case, mm-hmm. any kind of case, criminal, civil, anything, what you're looking for is the truth, mm-hmm. what can be proved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talk in terms of justice in a criminal case, justice is maybe justice for the victim mm-hmm. of of the crime or justice for the person who's accused maybe they're guilty maybe they're not guilty and a case against them can't be proved and our jury system looks for truth mm-hmm. and the whole pivotal issue is you bring a claim can you prove it mm-hmm. I don't have to disprove it. I don't have to prove anything. You have to prove your claim. Uh, as a plaintiff, you mean? As a plaintiff. Mm-hmm. My job is to poke holes in it. Okay. Um, say, for instance, the plaintiff testifies at trial about their claim. I get to cross-examine them in an effort to find what they can prove and what the truth really is. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes they can prove it. Maybe sometimes they can't. 
Well, we we talk about that. So who who dictates if it's proven or not? The jury. The jury. Or if it's not a jury trial, the judge. The the jury in the American legal system. On what basis? Like I, I let's let's just let's just, like simple. We'll just like a judge, right? So right. how how does a judge determine that it's proven or disproven? Well, I mean, there's is there a law that he refers to? Yes. There, there in trial that is based based in truth. Correct? Yes, at trial, say it's a, a bench trial, which is what a trial's called when it's decided by the judge. Mm-hmm. The judge is the trier of fact and law. What trier of fact means is that the judge, or if it's a jury, is charged with receiving all the evidence whether that's documents or testimony. That the plaintiff submits. That the plaintiff submits or that the defendant submits. And they have to assess credibility. Is that evidence believable? Mm -hmm. Um, Does that evidence prove the plaintiff's claim? And then the judge applies those facts to the law that governs that subject. Now, if you've got a jury, the jury is the trier of the fact. They receive the evidence. They deliberate after they hear all the evidence, which means they go into a room and discuss it mm-hmm. and come to a decision. Then they come back and they say, yes, we find that the defendant was at fault or no. Mm-hmm. If they find that the defendant was at fault... That's assessed in the framework of the law that applies to that situation. Hmm. So the jury is the trier of fact. The judge is the trier of the law. So it's two separate things. Hmm. And that's their functions. Hmm. Wow. Pretty, pretty complex. But there's like, you know, you talk about the term frivolous lawsuit, right? That's a legal term? Is yes. That, is there that, so that, that is something that's just not doesn't doesn't have the the basis of a case, right? Right. A pr- a frivolous lawsuit basically means bringing a lawsuit when you know it's not right, that when you know you can't prove it. Um and unfortunately plaintiffs attorneys uh bring a large number of frivolous lawsuits. And what I get to do after the information gathering stage of a lawsuit is I can bring a motion to the judge to say this case should be dismissed because it's frivolous or because they can't prove a claim. Sometimes I win. Sometimes I lose. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a case goes to trial. Now, the proportion of cases that get settled at some point is about 96%. So only 4% of cases ever get to trial. Okay. And the reason for that is you basically don't want to put your hands, your your fate in the hands of six people who didn't know how to get out of jury duty. Okay. <laughs> There's always a risk to mm-hmm. both sides if you do that. Hmm. So most cases at some point during the process, settle. Yeah, so they look at the laws. There's like people are presenting the case, you know, looking at it, 
with you know in a, in a, in a uh, truthful manner, applying the law, law and order, and it just doesn't 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 hold up. Right, and there's that no reason happens. to go any further. That's the reason. You know, there's a risk to you, mm-hmm. so you don't want to. And there's go. a financial cost of that, right? Cause there is. That's you got lawyers on both sides. You got time, and so it's got to be pretty. It's expensive. Yeah, yeah. It's now plaintiff cases in in personal injury are taken on what's called a contingency basis. So an attorney that represents the plaintiff in a personal injury case isn't getting paid by the hour. They get generally a third of any recovery. Mm. So whether that's a settlement, whether they get awarded money by a jury, they generally take a third of that. But defense counsel is generally assigned by an insurance company to represent this client. On, on retainer, right? Retainer. Right. No. You, well, yes, you get paid by the hour. Mm-hmm. So what basically is the case is that the more time plaintiff's attorneys spend, the more t- money they're losing because they're not doing something else. Mm. It's not in their interest to spend all that time. On a frivolous lawsuit. On, on a frivolous lawsuit on one that's not worth very much money. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically the framework mm. for that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So so you go to undergrad, you have to take the LSAT, right? So yes, you what do. what what is involved with that? It's it's analytical skills, basically. Um, because those are the skills you need to apply in the profession. Mm-hmm. So they're actually what are called logic games. Um, and you have to assess a situation and come up with an analysis. And it's it's the skills you need to apply a in truthful law situation or, or well, like... s- it's it's basically skills in finding truth, in thinking the way you have to think mm-hmm. as a law student and as an attorney. Okay. So then you do well on the LSATs and you apply to law school and that goes to whether or not you get accepted, Mm -hmm. how you did on that exam. It's graded. So um, if you get like 170 points, I think it is, or it was, then you did well. And the chance of getting accepted to a good school goes up. Mm -hmm. And what deems a good law school? Well, uh, isn't the law just the law, and you just have to learn it, or or what? well, you, that's partially true. Uh, but good law schools are essentially the nature of the jobs that it its graduates get. So, like for instance, Columbia, mm-hmm. um, a lot of very successful lawyers, judges have come out of Columbia. Why? Because of the quality of the education, the professors. What, explaining the law? The the way they teach it. There are different um, manners of teaching in law school. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, you know, some law schools are better at getting their graduates good jobs, high-paying jobs, uh, status jobs. Mm-hmm. What do you um, mean a status job? What does that mean? Well, like people that go on to be judges, people mm-hmm. that go on to be senators, congressmen, mm. or congresswomen, um, things like that. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah. So I, I went to New York Law School, which is downtown Manhattan. It's in Tribeca. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of judges came out of that school. Judges I know. A lot of- How many law schools are there in the United States? Oh, millions. There's there's a ton of law schools in really? the United States. And the problem is that there are now too many lawyers and not enough jobs. Mm. So unfortunately, if Probably some- a lot of frivolous lawsuits generated. Well, yes, there are. Um, unfortunately, when I got out of law school, there were jobs for decent money. Now, because there were so many law schools, law students graduating, schools have gotten sued by graduates because they promised career placement and couldn't deliver. Yeah. Yeah. It's a problem. It is a problem. So unfortunately, if a a college graduate- What's a law degree go for these days? Oh, um, it depends on the school, but Mm -hmm. it can be- $200,000, $100,000. It's, it's pricey depending on where you go. Wow. Crazy. Well, what about, you know, like, you know, you've got obviously the, um, you know, the tech world, right? You got things like that. I mean, you, you, you know, there's gotta be opportunities for lawyers in that industry segment, right? There are. Um, there are very few specialized. I mean, maybe lawyers. not from such a. I mean, I just sold my condo in Red Bank, so I needed to get a lawyer to do the paperwork. Right, but he you did need some cor- yes, yeah, yeah, some lawyer. yeah. So he did some correspondence with the uh, the buyer, and yeah, but yeah, I definitely needed that as a, and sure. I paid him, and 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 you know, there's just you could see where. I, I guess it's not a plaintiff and defendant scenario, but it's it's definitely procedural, so. Yes. Couldn't 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 you as a lawyer since you had a law degree couldn't you pivot into something like I that? I sure could. Yeah. yeah, I could have gone into that. I chose going to court in the set in the mm-hmm. setting that I do. Because and the reason I chose that was um, my first summer of law school. At the end of my first year, I was able to get a job. Mm-hmm. You can't work your first year. You're not allowed. Yeah. So I got my first job, and I was an attorney for the county of Nassau on Long Island. As a defense attorney? As a defense attorney, defending the county, defending the police department, um, other issues, and... Defending, like you're a public defender, so like... Well, I was if called... Someone couldn't, if someone couldn't afford a lawyer... Like no, you see no, them. no, no, no. It was representing the county itself. Oh, okay. And the cops and things like that. So... What I was, what I did was, I was in what's called the litigation bureau, which is the attorneys that go to court and defend the county. Mm. Okay. In civil lawsuits, so what's an example of a civil lawsuit against the county? Well, uh, federal civil rights cases where people were arrested by the police, or and they believe their civil rights were violated. Uh, cases. Like that are very interesting, very involved, wow. very complicated. Yeah. But what I was able to do was- No, civil rights, civil rights. I mean, yeah. not that we're going to get really into, but it's, it's there's basic civil rights, right? And they're laid out, what, in the Constitution of the United States? Or? In the Constitution, in the laws mm-hmm. that were developed flowing from the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, do civil rights, do they change? Is there a state civil right, a county civil rights, or is it there just civil rights? There are state laws regarding, for instance, gender discrimination. Uh, but dis- might be different in a different state? 
might be different in a different state. There are also federal standards Mm -hmm. that come from the Constitution. And the states and the federal government develop laws that comport with the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, a case against the Nassau County Police Department where uh, cases are brought based on police brutality or discrimination against minorities or discrimination against like profiling that was a profiling. big thing, that a big thing yeah. in new jersey yeah um so the county attorney's office would represent the police mm-hmm. in those cases now where i was was the litigation bureau which is the attorneys that went to court to defend those lawsuits hmm. and i found out that i was good at it and i really enjoyed it so that's the path I chose in my career, was hmm. going to court. Oh, wow. Cool. Well, we're going to question two. Did you have a coach or a mentor along the way? To, to, or, or is it all, you, know, you made a pivot, right? So like a lot of times I when I have these podcasts, I start, I start pivoting out the, the person's career. So it's, it sounds like you had a... You, obviously, right off the bat, you knew what you wanted to do, which is pretty impressive. And then yeah. you, know, you were able to go... Uh, to you know high-end uh, law school in the city and then uh, you had an opportunity kind of i think it seems like uh, uh we're able to start working earlier than most right yeah and kind of have these opportunities and then you, you took this opportunity so how, how did that come about just by you being in the mix or did someone help you with that or well my first job at the county attorney's office was very interesting i moved to long beach okay and I got a letter from the governmental leader, I I forget his title, of Long Beach, a form letter, welcome to the community, et cetera. At the bottom- Government leader, what is that? Like, Long Beach is a city. Okay. So I think, I can't remember his title, but he was in charge of that city. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was a governmental leader, a political leader. He wrote at the bottom of the Dear Register voter letter, if I can ever do anything for you, let me know. Why? Because you were a lawyer? No. He didn't know that. Oh, that was just a... That it w- was just a note oh, he wow. wrote at the bottom of oh, this that, letter. Oh, that's cool. So I gathered myself and said, hmm. And I wrote him a letter saying, thank you for your letter. I'm a law student. I need a job. Wow. And he got me the job at the county attorney's office. Wow. And so it was just pure uh, chutzpah on my part to say, yeah, you can help me. Hmm. And that's how I started working. And during my career, I had wow. various mentors. Wow. Uh, my bureau chief at the county, he helped me along. Uh, my first job outside the county, the partner there help me along, help me learn. Mm-hmm. So in all my various jobs, I had, I was lucky I had supportive people. When I was a kid, I had parents who put a premium on education. Mm-hmm. My dad in particular would talk to me about issues that I was going to deal with as an adult. Mm-hmm. So I had mentors all along the way and your dad was like a vp right at the my dad was worked for a very uh big real estate firm in the city Mm -hmm. he was in the construction division but he was 
pretty high up in the construction mm-hmm. division. He's a smart guy. He's aware um, of issues, the issues that are in this country. Mm-hmm. And so he helped me along and taught me that stuff. Sweet. It's awesome. It's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, so question three, at what, what point or, or stage of your career did you pivot into your current role? So that that would be kind of like, we've kind of toughed, I think we've kind of touched on, we could talk, continue to talk if you want, touched on when you pivoted into, you got a letter because you moved in there and you got a pretty cool guy that was involved in the community and you actually took him up on his offer at face value and he had hooking you up. I think that's awesome. I think that should happen, you know? It's amazing, like, if you find, if you you start talking to people in life and all they do is, you, you, some people just need a chance. Yeah. You know what I mean? We 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 talked about um uh Barbara's son, right? You know, he just needs a chance, you know. The people the young people just need chances. It you just, need someone someone that wants to work with them too. Like so you got a chance, you had people working with you. It's the same concept and we got to get back to that. We got to give people chances and we got to we got to work with people. Well, you know? I saw an opening. And not you need to have the nerve mm. to take that opening. Mhm. And that's what I did. And that set me on my path. Mm -hmm. And in terms of pivoting into my current role, um, I I think I've been an equity partner for about seven years. Mm. And the way I was given that role is my skill level in terms of practicing law, Mm -hmm. my um, experience, and my ability to run certain clients. So that's people skills. That's political skills in mm-hmm. terms of keeping accounts with, you know, there's this one insurance company, for instance, mm-hmm. that sends us a lot of work. So dealing with them, you have to have certain skills to keep them happy, keep the work coming. Mm, right. Um, I ran the account on a big retailer. And that was because I had the skills to know what they wanted to do that, mm-hmm. attain that level of results and keep them happy. Yeah. Customer service. So exactly. It's customer basic customer service. service. That's Sa- all it is. Salesmanship 101. That's you know, all you, you it is. You can't take customers for granted. I think I talked about one of our podcasts and uh, you start doing that, you, you, you lose trust. That's right. You lose, you know, it becomes untrue. And then you just lose the client. Once that's gone, it's gone. It's, it's, it's hard to get it back. Part I mean, of my lucky. job is keeping the business mm-hmm. viable. Mm-hmm. It's not just being a lawyer, it's business. Now, would there be an opportunity, we talk about opportunities, for maybe a young lawyer to come into your firm, for example, and be that kind of liaison more at a low level, not going into court of law, but being that customer service, taking care of basic requirements of the account, more, more account management, and then have you kind of pivot off and maybe, uh, get an, a, another client, bring some more business in there. I mean, do you guys have that kind of structure within your organization? Well, um, we have a young associate. Mm-hmm. She's been practicing a few years and she's learning the skills, technical skills of being an attorney. Okay. Like going in and doing what you're doing. Going to court, mm-hmm. learning to do depositions, doing conferences with judges, mm-hmm. uh, learning how to act in various circumstances, mm-hmm. learning the actual law that applies to what we do. 
and she's phenomenal. She learns quick. She independent, thinks independently. She knows what questions to ask, and she's picking it up quick. Mm-hmm. And it's Steve's job and my job to facilitate that, to put her in an environment where she can learn and apply what she learns. Mm-hmm. So as she advances, she'll have more exposure to the clients themselves. Um, you know, it's it's assisting us in keeping the clients happy. Mm-hmm. We have the lion's share of that responsibility. Now, how many how many um, how many cases do you guys handle a year? Like, how many people are actually have uh, have the ability and have the expertise to you know handle a load? Right? You think about a business, right? Everything's a business, right? So. You talk about small, large firms. You you you're you're considered what size firm? In We're that a small firm. Small. So what's what's the definition of a small firm? Well, we have uh, three and a half of us. We have Steve and me. We have Kira, and we have a gentleman named Howard who kind of works for us part time. Okay, doing paperwork and stuff. Doing. He did a couple of trials for us. He handles paper. Mm-hmm. He handles depositions. Um, he he spends less time for us than, say, Kira, who's a full-time employee. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does work for Is us. Is he a paralegal? No, he's an attorney. Oh, he, as attorney. a matter of fact, he's an older gentleman. He's so experienced that he got out of law school the year I was born. Oh, wow. So this man knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and he's valuable because of that. Hmm. So we're a, we're a small firm. Um, we have, well, we have this one client, a high-end body shop that we represent. Mm-hmm. And they're on Long Island, right? I think on you're Long Island. Yeah. They're yeah. in Rockville Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have about 200 cases for them. But our, wow. And our, that's three people managed 200 cases? Yeah. Well, Jeez. we have a paralegal who is dedicated to that full time. Um, Kira and I handled it, handle it from the lawyer perspective. But in terms of regular defense cases, we probably have... Uh, 500 cases, 750 cases. We have a lot. Wow. It keeps us busy all day, every day. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, with, you know, the advent of um, technology, right? We obviously, um, you know, I take a look at what I'm doing now and I've talked about my podcast and, you know, to me, it's just, it's, it's a platform to get good, good things out there. Right. So like, is there any kind of technological advantages in, in what you do? Like whether it be, uh, uh, Submittal of paperwork more electronically, uh, things that are can streamline some of this stuff, and you know, like you you said earlier, like you know, the courts aren't open, so you obviously probably use Zoom or WebEx or whatever you're using. But what about you know, court submittal databases that 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 uh, you know, is, or is that not legal? Well, know? what the current state is is that anything you're submitting to the court gets electronically submitted. Some judges ask for paper copies also. working They call working copies. But everything is electronic now. Mm-hmm. Uh, federal court was the first place where that was done, but the state courts have 90% gone to that also. Mm. Another 
huge technology uh, that we use is for legal research. Okay. When I was in law school, the first years that I was out of law school, you had to research the law on something. It was books. And now there are basically uh, the two major legal research platforms are Westlaw and Lexis. We happen to use Westlaw. And that revolutionized legal research because like, what do you, mean? you you open it up, you put in search terms okay, and your venue, which means where you are, what courts. Okay. So I, I put in New York and I'll put in federal court or state court. And then I put in my search terms mm-hmm. and a bunch of cases pop up. And I look at those cases for fact patterns that are similar to what I have. Mm. And I can see what the law is then that apply to those fact patterns. So it's it's revolutionized research mm. and made it much, much easier. Wow. The books were hard. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. It makes sense. It's huge. Makes a lot of sense. I yeah. mean, that makes a lot of sense. I yeah, mean, it's that, huge. You know, one, you're getting the accurate information. You're not spending a bunch of time. You spend more time with your client. It you know, makes it easier. You got two, you know, 700 cases. You, that's a lot of time, you know, like you, you, know, you want to, you know, you want to get productive, you know, productivity. That's just a standard thing in any, any kind of business, right? right? You've you know, got to be technology. Productive. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, all right. So your you know, question number four. So, you know, what work are you doing to stay and thrive at your, your current role? You're obviously an equity partner, managing partner. Those, those carry, uh, you know, a certain, uh, you know, skill set, obviously, and, and so what are you doing to, um, to, to stay there and thrive and, and continue? Since you're, you're an equity partner, you want your business to be viable and you want it to continue to grow. And Right. And so a lot of what that is, is like you said, customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big part of my job. The, and also a large part of my job is making sure I'm good at what I do. So that means putting in the time managing my cases in an efficient manner, Mm -hmm. knowing the law that applies to what I do, Mm -hmm. knowing what questions to ask, what information to seek to make me successful at practicing law. Mm -hmm. So our track record basically is part of the customer service element. There's not only keeping the clients happy and informed and uh, giving good advice Mm -hmm. about what they should do. It's knowing the technical aspects of my cases. So lawyers do what they do. Um, I know this kind of law. So I don't give advice to people on things I don't know Mm -hmm. about. Mm-hmm. I'll refer them to somebody who does not. Right, right. Um, I have no business giving advice on something I don't know. Number one, I can get sued. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's it's not ethical. You, there are things you just don't do. Yeah, like we spoke about a coffee. Like when you become a lawyer, right? You go through, you go, you know, you you go you go through law school. You 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 do all the discipline there, and then you become a lawyer, right? So you got to go through the bar, right? Yes, so, you have to take so the bar what, exam. So what's the, what's the bar exam? What is that? Well, um, you take it in the state you want to practice in. Okay. So I took the New York bar. 
And what that, it's a two-day test. It's a nightmare. Part of it is essay questions. Mm -hmm. Part of it is multiple choice. There's also uh, an ethics component that you have to take an exam. Then you have to pass that exam. You graduate law school, you spend months doing nothing but studying for the bar. And there are courses you take to learn how to take that test. Then you have to go through what's called a character and fitness interview. And what that is, is there's an attorney who's part of the system that passes you or fails you. Mm -hmm. And it's it's basically, um, are you of the character that makes you worthy to join the profession. You've got to pass that interview as well. Mm. Then the committee says to you, okay, you're getting admitted to practice as an attorney. And there's a court, uh, it's called the appellate division, which is basically in New York, if you don't like a result in the lower court, you can appeal it And the first level of appeal is to the appellate division. The appellate division is who decides if you're getting a license. Mm. And once you pass the bar, go through your interview, you you go to a big ceremony in the appellate division courthouse, and you swear an oath. Okay. And... What's the oath? The the oath is to uphold the law, to... um, conduct yourself in a certain manner to uh, uphold the Constitution, and you swear that oath, and you're admitted. You have a license, and you get a big scroll in in the mail that you put in a frame on your office wall Mm -hmm. that says, I am now a practicing attorney. I have a license. And it's, it's a huge process to get to that point. Law school is three years. The The thing that lawyers say about law school is that they spend the first year scaring you to death because they're trying to weed people out. The second year, they work you to death. And the third year, they bore you to death. Mm. And the reason they say that about the third year is you've been working since your first summer. You have this feeling like, all right, I I know how to do this. Leave me alone. So by your third year, you're like, I'm so over this. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of where I worked, I had so much experience by my third year that that's just how I felt. Get away from me. I'm done with this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you have to go through the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's great. That's cool. That's cool. Um. Yeah, so one, one a little sidebar thing, as we talked about, we talked about, you know, one of the things about Bradley Basics is really the core of it is to, you know, find different ways and avenues to, to get educated in this in this country with not coming out with a, a lawyer's, a, you know, a six-digit, you know, debt thing. So you've been working, um, you know, you, you're getting a degree from what, Southern New Hampshire University, that's an online school I mentioned on one of my podcasts, so... Um, in, in photography, right? That's a, a digital photography. Digital photography. So they accepted a lot of your your stuff, and 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 um, 
Can you can you talk about the, how that experience is going for you? Yeah, it's uh, the major is one hundred and thirty credits. Mm-hmm. You, I s- made the application. I and they accepted a lot of your credits, right? Eighty seven. Wow. So I have forty five credits left that I have to take. And what I found is that the degree is not just digital photography itself. Mm-hmm. It's a broad exposure to elements that inform that. So for instance, I'm on my second course. I'm taking one at a time because I have a day job. Mm -hmm. My first course was graphic design, utilizing educational materials and practical applications of using Photoshop Mm. to create various projects. That's completely foreign to anything I've ever done, but it was extremely interesting because it was something new to me. Um, I will tell you, Photoshop made law school look like a breeze. Really? Because it's incredibly complicated, Um, but I learned a lot. The course I'm taking now is the one humanities course that I have to take, and essentially- What course is that? it's, It's basically- an art history course, but what you're doing is learning about various forms of art, various periods in the development of art, and you're... How far do you go back? Uh, oh, uh, 1500s. Wow. Um, and what you're doing is analyzing what you're learning, mm-hmm. analyzing various t- pieces of art in terms of their elements, in terms of what they're trying to convey, and you're writing about what your analysis is. So I'm able to apply skills that I've developed in my uh, role as an attorney to my uh, the analysis I'm able to do, the writing I'm able to do. So even though the subject matter is completely new Yeah, technical me, from a standpoint. Yeah, yeah, it's completely new to me. It's nothing I've ever Work with done computer, before. Put, making, the, making the photo or whatever it is, yeah. Right, and learning about art, I've never done that. Mm-hmm. But I have the skills to apply to, to communicate that. what you're doing. So I'm doing well, and it makes it fun and incredibly interesting. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. Yeah, because I looked at I talked about it on my podcast. I looked at that. You, they've got some legit... You can get an engineering degree from there. You can get uh, some of the things I was thinking about farting around with that, you know, uh, is about you know, like internet security. Like I think security is going to be a big thing. I think there's a lot of, uh, like I said, I think, you know, we're as society evolves, you know, utilizing platforms and digital communication is just going to become more and more, you know, speed and prevalent, but then there's got to be a trust, you know, a trust and, uh, a law and order component of it too, so that people aren't doing things that are that are illegal. Right, and that's what you, people do. There's a you know there's a, kin- a criminal element in society, and it, it it's unfortunate, but you've got to you know you got to protect yourself. So um, like ExpressVPN, you know, like uh, I got a VPN on the computer, so when I'm online, I'm not people aren't coming in and getting stuff. And you know, I I kind of always blew that off, but I recently you know spent a couple hundred bucks putting that together. So I got all the computer, my personal computers are protected like that. You know, just, that's just an example. Now the guts and the nuts and bolts of that are some kind of, you know, maybe this kind of what you're talking about, how you create that is something different, but what, 
maybe what somewhat we can partner as you get further along is like some of these concepts I talk about, I like to put them into a picture form and a digital picture form. So maybe we could, you know, when we, not, not now, but like when we have time, I can take a look at what you're doing and maybe we can put together something and I'll pay you for it. Sure. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? The, the degrees that are available that you can do online mm-hmm. later in life or as an 18 year old um, are legitimate. Mm-hmm. It's a legitimate way to get an education. Yeah. And there are master's degrees you can get. There are a million undergraduate degrees yeah. that you can get. It's it's pretty affordable depending on where you go. Mm-hmm. And it's valuable. Like, say, for instance, th- this digital photography degree doesn't apply to what I do now, but someday... I'll retire mm-hmm. and maybe as a second career, do something in that field. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered that there's scientific photographers, medical photographers. Yeah. That's the sort of stuff yeah. that I would find crazy interesting. Right. Well, if you think about all these degrees, you think about getting more productive, right? Like, you know, you know, I, I think it's, and I'm going to use this term because, you know, what well, my buddy Greg, Greg Connors too. And he just got through NYU and he's a highly talented guy. And he, I, I've been friends with him for a long, he's a really good friend of mine. And, and when he said he was an actor and then I, I said, well, show me your numbers, you know, basically do you have, money? and he had a lot of money put, put aside to try to do this. That's how and I said, you're serious then. And he is, he's yeah. legit. Yeah. And he's put together a couple plays in the city and I you know, I'm I'm gonna get involved maybe on the financial level with I already told him what he kind of threw me some numbers. It's not that big of a deal. But for him to go through NYU at you know, he's an older guy. So like it was it was it was really shady. You know, it was really shady. Now I'm not saying I'm not putting it down, he's gotta go and get the skill set, but the, the amount of money that he's kinda of on the hook for and he's he's gonna deal with it. But it it's it was and they had no exit strategy for for, for him. And, and, and it seems like the same thing with some of these law school schools now, like there's gotta be an exit strategy, you know, it's, it's, and, and so like, it's not a matter of like becoming a lawyer or whatever you want to do, but like, you shouldn't be breaking the bank. You shouldn't be coming out in debt where, like I said, debt debt doesn't discriminate. It's going to bring you down and you need to manage it. And it's nothing to play games with. And, and, but then you're kind of, so I think what I'm trying to get at here is medical photography, different things, different ways to teach people what needs to be taught, right? Like, like a, like an old engineering prof of mine, you know, picture is worth a thousand words, you know, like if you have a picture and you can communicate a concept, that might be the linchpin for the guy to understand the concept, whether reading or, and you, you, we've been through a lot of schooling and a lot of times people just say it to a guy one way. Well, if you get it great, if you don't, I don't care. Right. You know, Michigan state, you go into an organic chemistry course and there's an auditorium. I mean, literally, it's like a concert. So many people in there. You're not going to stand up and ask a question. Well, you know, and, 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 and so what do you end up doing? You end up going to a TA thing. Right. You spend more time and they just tell you one way. And, and it's just kind of like, that's just not, that's not effective. But, oh, it's Michigan State, you know, I, or it's or it's this, or it's Columbia. It's like, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like. The prestige element is yeah, not, not always what makes you effective. Stony Brook is a huge university. Mm -hmm. When I was there, there was 17,000 undergraduate students. It's an 1,100 acre campus. 
Now, I do well in that environment. Mm -hmm. I don't like small classes because I'm not a person that likes to be watched. I like, go learn this Mm -hmm. and I'm going to help you. Um, But when I took biology in my freshman year, when I took chemistry, when I took economics, that was in a lecture hall that held 600 people. Right. Um, So if you're that type of learner, you're going to do well in that environment. Now, yes, you broke out into lab uh, elements. You had TAs in smaller settings that were able to work with you. Mm -hmm. So that kind of offsets the huge lecture. But I was a student that did well in that environment. Not everybody likes that. Mm -hmm. Some people went to CW Post, which was a smaller university that was more personal Mm -hmm. because they thrive in that environment. Um, I had roommates who didn't care for Stony Brook because it was so big. Mm -hmm. But it it depends on the type of student you are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've talked multiple times about my path to become a, you know, material science engineer from from, uh, Michigan State, which, you know, which is, you know, I'm proud of that. You know, it's it's, it's a tough, tough degree and more like chemical engineering, actually. But, you know, I went through, you know, through my course of life, I talked to like a lot of people and they're like, well, how'd you get through the math? You know, it's like, well, I went to community college, a small, small class, like in high school or whatever. And you take math all the way up to differential equations and you just, that's the last math you take for, for engineering is differential equations and you transfer everything in. And I took my inorganic chemistry there. I took my physics, took some humanities, took a lot of stuff, you know? And, but I bet you if people, more people had that kind of mindset, like those are just basic courses. And, and I was talking to a a friend of mine, a colleague and, uh, uh, there's a gal that's at a, at a big university trying to become a, uh, like a chemical engineer. And, and she's telling, uh, his daughter that maybe she needs to change her major. And what I told him, I said, all she's struggling right now is with the basic courses. Okay. She's not even into it because you have to apply to the college of engineering within most big schools. And that's what you have to do. It right. took me three chances to do that. And I got in. Uh, and then, then I started there and then there, then once you get into engineering school, it's the math is trivial. <laughs> you're looking at X-ray diffraction, you're looking at electrons bouncing off of atoms, like literally looking at it with yeah. an electronic scanning, scanning microscope. It, it, you're actually watching it right. and then you have to graph it out and use X-rays. And so there, there's a lot of ways to analyze forensically materials. So you see some, you know, there's all sorts of things to do and, and, uh, and that's unfortunate. That's what I'm trying to get at. That's unfortunate. That individual is going out to some big school, uh, big school bill, and, and, and is getting squashed her dream of not becoming a chemical engineer because she can't get through the map. Because probably, because that's all it is until you get into your core courses. Right. You know, and um, and then there's requirements of each college engineer, like statics is the study of like forces on a structure. And you have to go through all these kind of basic courses. Then you kind of have to go through all these things and, and, and then as a requirement, then you, then you apply and then you get in. And I think I was kind of lucky. Nobody wanted to become material science engineer. What the hell is that? That's hard. That's a hard class. Cause that's one of the basic courses you have to take. And, and, uh, most people are electrical. Electrical is really hard. Yeah. That's the hardest. Yep. And then there's mechanical, which a lot of people are mechanical engineers. And then 
probably if I look back at my time, not to regress, um, right at Michigan State, there's a thing that was starting coming out, engineering arts, which was more business slash engineering. That's basically kind of what I do now. Right, right, so that'd right. be a better degree, and that could, you know, because it's, uh, you know, that's how I interact with a lot of people, and and, and you know, it, it, but it, anyways, it all it all works out. So, um, yeah, a fifth and final question: If uh, you could do it all over, if you could do it all over again, what would you change? Really, I love what I do. Okay, that's great. Which not a lot of lawyers will say. Mm-hmm. That sure, there are days I want to kill myself or somebody else. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, I like what I do. Would I change anything? I wouldn't change my decision not to go into the city. I wouldn't change my decision to become a lawyer. Um, I don't even think I'd change my decision to practice the kind of law I do. Hmm, That's great. So essentially, I'm happy where I am. It's awesome. Which not a lot of people can say. Well, see, that's the whole concept too, right? When, you know, the theme throughout all these podcasts are is when you, when you, when you like what you do for a living, you know, any going into the city, studying hard, all these different things aren't, aren't a chore to you because you like what you do. Right. And so what I'm trying to get to with this, with this, you know, gal, like, like you got to look at, okay, you want to become an engineer, like chemical engineer, like what's really involved with that? What does do you, that mean? What does that really mean? Like, do you understand like. Okay, and it's it's not like to get into someone's personal business, but where Bradley basically could come in and go, okay, well, by the way, did you know that you have to take? Let's look at your syllabus, and there's one that Mark, uh, yeah, Mark along one of the guys I interviewed. You know, uh, he felt I could help people with civil, all those type of things you could just take at home. Yeah, you know, and and then and and then transfer in, and yeah. then still accomplish what you need to do, and because what's going to happen, and, and I've seen it, I've seen it. I mean. I mean, we're, uh, you know, this, this, this June will be 24 years. I've seen it. I mean, the, people are capable of being engineers. They're capable of like, sure. a lot of things. They just sure. not, don't understand the system. And it, and it's kind of like, you know, why not do that? And that's what my buddy's daughter is doing. And, uh, she's going to be better off. Than, what I like know. about what I do is I think for a living. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. I work with words mm-hmm. and I think for a living. I have that sort of brain. You have a brain that lends itself to engineering. Mm-hmm. And you're able to apply that to be successful in what you do now. So it makes you hopefully good at what you do. Yeah, I like what I do. Yeah. There's and been some so hard points. I. I mean, there's a lot of people that are, you know, I've had to deal with and we talked about over coffee. It's, I'm in a, it's taken me a long time to get, it's taken me a lot, probably my whole career to get to where I'm at now, but it's just more of a, well, people wouldn't understand what I'm talking about, but, um, uh, but if you know me, you would, but, uh, nothing I'd put on it, but, but it's, 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 it's a structure, right? It's, uh, you know, you get into an environment like your environment, you know, it's a legal environment. There's probably a lot of good old boys, right? And oh, the fact yeah. that you're a female and I'm sure through the years you were, I, I remember you telling me a story about Steve had to say something to somebody. Uh, well, you know, kind of close, and uh, you know, it was kind of. You know. When I first started out, female, there weren't that many female lawyers. Um, but the reputation that female lawyers had were that they were aggressive and difficult to deal with, 
and because it was a good old boys network. Mm-hmm. But now, but you, that's not the sentiment. Yeah, not not to interrupt you, but if you take a look at that statement, that was through a good old boy filter. Right. Difficult to work. What does that really mean? Maybe because they really know what they're talking about. Maybe you don't. Because you're, because you're. No, because they think I don't. Right. And another thing that happened to me frequently when I was what I call a baby lawyer is I'd go into somebody's office to do a deposition. Mm -hmm. The receptionist would often say, oh, you're the court reporter. And the reason for that was because I was a woman. Stereotyping, bigotry. Stereotyping, assuming that because I was a young woman, Mm -hmm. I had to be the court reporter. And it got to- That's lazy. I think that that kind of mindset is just lazy. Well, it got to the point where I got touchy about it. Sure. And I'd be like, no, what I have in my hand is a briefcase. And this is not to denigrate court reporters. Mm -hmm. That's an incredibly difficult career, Mm -hmm. and I respect it. But don't assume things about me because Mm -hmm. I'm a young woman. And now that doesn't happen to me anymore. Well, that's evolution. That That's evolution. The environment has mm-hmm. changed. One of the, you, you know, one of the, one of the people I've been uh, watching, you know, that, that was involved with, um, you know, were, you know, some of the things is that uh, Jenna Ellis, like I, she was a female attorney for the past administration. And she was, I, I learned so much just listening to her talk about stuff. And she's, she's, uh, very well-spoken. I mean, I mean, not that I, you know, I, I like to gain knowledge and just basic knowledge. Like, um, uh, you know, so I think everybody should decide it because, you know, if you get into a, you know, some kind of situation, you're like, man, do I, do I, you know, is this a truthful, you know, this thing happened to me? Like, what are my rights? Like what, you know, um, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to go talk to a lawyer because I feel you know, I, I have a right to do that, you know, right. and I, or, have, you know, or, I, 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 I promote law and order with it. And I feel like, uh, I, I need to go talk to a lawyer and I think everybody should, you know, you know, law and order should reign, still reign free in this country. I, you know? I you, agree. You know what I mean? And that's the other reason I wanted to become an attorney when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very law and order. I am of the opinion that people have a right to be heard and that they have a right to have their interests protected. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of why I gravitated toward what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always respected that and aspired to be that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right. Well, hey, that's. I think it's a good podcast, Gene. I really appreciate your time. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what, what firm do you work for? Uh, the name of my firm is Stephen F. Goldstein, LLP. Um, my you guys car- have a website, I assume? We do. Okay. Um, and the website... Uh, yeah, I, I can, I'll put it up. I'll, but go ahead. Go ahead. The, go ahead. the website kind of talks about what types of law we do. Okay. Um, what's interesting is I've gotten three cases now, um, civil rights cases in federal court from retired police officers. Mm, okay. And um, that's that's something I, I did as a baby lawyer when I was in law school, but um, it's, it's 
interesting to branch out into that field. Yeah, yeah. I think that's going to probably more prevalent with with you know. I think that's good. I mean, you, you got to get you know, it's a business model. You're 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 equity partner, so you want to maintain your business is healthy. And it's good to be diverse. Okay, just yes, like with the it, company I work for, we have more things to to sell and sh- then you can shake a stick at these days. And I have a good core base of knowledge and I can just bolt on these other things. But a lot of younger guys um, that are coming in are extremely overwhelmed. And uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a whole nother, you know, that's a whole nother podcast to talk about, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's good. But so we're a diverse company, but that, you know, that, you, but you have to be effective. It, you can be diverse and have these different things, but you can't get too overstretched where you're not taking care of those three right. situations. You know right. what I mean? So you, you know, you've got to look at that from a business standpoint. And part of being diverse is a business issue. Mm-hmm. It's keeping your company or your law firm viable. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you pigeonhole yourself into one thing, that can dry up. And then mm-hmm. where are you? Mm-hmm. So if you have a knowledge base and the ability to handle different things, you're safer. So that's uh, where it applies in terms of business. But it's also intellectually stimulating. Mm -hmm. It gives you a chance to learn new skills, apply the skills you have. Um, So as a professional, it's it's interesting and you're growing. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, that's so, great. So, all right. So, yeah, you 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 you've got the uh, so you guys got a website. You're yeah. on LinkedIn, so people can get a hold of you on LinkedIn. Yes. What I'll do is I'll post the website and I'll post the uh, your your email yeah. and everything on 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 BradleyBasics.com, so people will be able. To, and then that will also, like I told you, will get populated on the Apple and all those sure. other stuff, so people can get a hold of you. So, all right, I really appreciate it. It's been it's been a great discussion and uh, doing a great job. It's an extremely impressive podcast. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me. All right, so happy new year, everybody, and uh, you know we'll be uh, we'll be talking soon. Appreciate your time. Take care. <laughs>